Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Give you a reality statement this morning. Christmas is eight days away, right? I know that stirs a lot of varying emotion in people's hearts. Some people hear that and you've immediately gone into panic mode because there's still so much that you feel like you have left to do. For me, when I think about Christmas being eight days away, it creates a lot of excitement. I'm one of those that gets really excited about Christmas. I love Christmas. I love all the ways we celebrate Christmas in our culture. I love the food. I love the parties. I love the gifts. I love the Christmas tree. I love the lights in the neighborhoods. I love the wrapping paper. I even like the to and from stickies that you put on the gifts on the outside. I like the songs. I like the movies. I love it all. I really enjoy this time of year. But to be honest with you, I love it so much that if I'm not careful, I can get so caught up in all the ways we celebrate Christmas in our Western culture that I can lose sight of why we join in a celebration of Christmas with people all over the world. Anybody else get there sometimes? You can get so caught up in the trappings that you forget that, listen to this statement, Christmas is not just an American holiday. Christmas is a global holy day. There will be brothers and sisters in Christ in cultures and in corners of the world gathering all week, climaxing next weekend, celebrating the reality of Christmas. And I just thought this morning, as we move into this final week, I know this week of Christmas preparation and excitement and anticipation will be here, that it'd be great for us as we think about gathering with friends and family and neighbors, that we would just take a moment this morning and look at God's Word and really reset our hearts around why we celebrate Christmas. So if you have your Bible this morning, I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 1. I want to read an excerpt from the Christmas story. And as I read through this, you're going to see the verses up here on the screen. We're going to get to a couple of verses that I'm going to have highlighted here on the screen. When we get to the highlighted verses, I want you to read out loud with me when we get to those verses. If you got that, say amen. All right, here we go. Verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he'd considered this, 
Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now read with me. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Read again. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. (laughs) It's one of those stories we've read Over and over again. You may have even already read this in preparation of this week. If you hadn't read it, you've probably seen this story on a Christmas card that someone sent you or an excerpt of it on wrapping paper that you've been using. It's a story that we've read. But but even as I've been reading it this week and each time that I've already read it this morning, it's like every phrase of this story should end with this word, wow. Every phrase of this story is just mind-blowing. It's an incredible story. We've read it and we're so familiar with it that we've lost some of the sense of wonder. But what we're reading is the story of how God, think about this, God, the one who created everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell, we're reading the story of how God chose to come into the world that he created. So I want to take this story, and with two phrases, I want to give us really the reality of Christmas in two phrases. Here's the first one. God came to us. Say that out loud with me. God came to us. Get this. Next weekend... All over the world, people are going to celebrate that God came to us. Wow. Somebody ought to say, wow. I mean, what if I said, hey, be here next Sunday morning. God's coming. You know what we'd have trouble? We'd have trouble getting everybody in the building, right? This place would be packed. God's coming. We are going to celebrate next weekend with people all over the world the reality that God came to us. Tim Keller wrote a book called Hidden Christmas. If you hadn't read it, highly recommend it. Great book by Tim Keller. Here's what he said. Look at this quote. The incarnation, talking about when God came to us, the incarnation did not happen merely to let us know that God exists. It happened to bring him near so he can be with us and we with him. God came 
to us. Matthew uses some phrases to, to kind of give us some understanding about how this happened as best he could. And I want to kind of walk through a couple of these phrases. First of all, in verse 20, Matthew tells us that the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He opens with something that is incredibly miraculous. It's filled with wonder. This angel appears to Joseph and he says, hey, Joseph, your, your wife-to-be is already pregnant and the child that is in her womb is of the Holy Spirit. David Skinner is a theologian and a scholar. Listen to the way he describes that phrase. He said, Mary became pregnant without human aid with the result that the child born to her was the son of God. This does not mean that somehow the Holy Spirit took the place of a human father and supplied male seed. This was a miracle whereby the Holy Spirit created in Mary's womb the incarnate Son of God. Wow! Get this scene. Here's Joseph and Mary. They're engaged. They're going to be married. There's all kinds of excitement. They've sent out the invitations. They've invited everybody. The ceremony is planned. They can't wait for this glorious day. And then Joseph finds out Mary's pregnant. And he's not the father. We've read it so often that we lose sight of the emotion and the anxiety in this moment. Joseph's trying to figure out an honorable way to get out of all of this. And one night in a dream, an angel shows up. And this angel says, Joseph, Mary's pregnant. It's not your baby. But don't worry. Don't be afraid. Here's what he said. The child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. That little word of is an important word. It's a word in the Greek language, language that speaks of origin. Here's what the angel was telling Joseph. Without the aid of a human father, Mary, your wife-to-be, has become pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God creating in her the humanity of Jesus Christ. Joseph, God is coming into the world, and he's doing it through the womb of your wife-to-be Mary. The Spirit of God has created life. The Holy Spirit of God in her womb has created the body of Jesus Christ who's going to be born into this world, and Jesus is going to be all that God is with skin on. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. I know what you're thinking, same thing I'm thinking. How can this happen? It's not something we read about every day. Well, that's the same question Mary asked. Look at Luke chapter 1. Mary said to the angel, after the angel visited her, uh, How can this be? Since I am a virgin. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. God came to us through the womb of the virgin Mary, the miracle of the virgin birth. There was something miraculous about how God came to us. But then there's something in the story that's very ordinary. The angel then turns to Joseph and he says, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, Parents, all parents, when your baby's born, what do you do? You give the baby a name. It's, it's part of the process. So here's this supernatural, miraculous birth being described. And then he says, oh, yeah, Joseph, you got to name this baby because you're going to be his earthly father. You're going to raise him alongside Mary, and you're going to teach this young man. God is coming into the world, and he's going to be your son. You're going to raise him. I want you to call his name Jesus. Now, we hear the name Jesus today, and we think about Jesus, right? I mean, nobody really thinks about naming their kid Jesus because it's just like, who wants to set the bar that high for somebody to have to live up to? But, but you got to understand, in the time of Mary and Joseph, Jesus was not Jesus. Jesus was an ordinary name like Mike or Joe or John. Get this. Joseph, God is coming into the world. The Holy Spirit of God has created in the womb of Mary the very life of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is coming into the world. Name him Joe. Because <laughs> he's going to be an ordinary human being just like every other little boy born in this season, in this time, in this part of the world. God became a man. Clyde Cranford wrote about it this way in his book, Because We Love Him. He said, in his incarnation, Jesus did not come as a full-grown man, but as a helpless infant who had to learn how to walk and talk. Think about that. God learning to walk and talk how to read and write. As a boy and as a young man, he studied and memorized the scriptures of which he is himself the author. He studied by the light of an oil lamp, though he is himself the creator of electricity. God became a man. But then Matthew records the angel saying this to Joseph. Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. They will call him Emmanuel. Joseph, you're going to call his name Jesus. But they'll call him Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Which means this, God chose to come into the world through the womb of the Virgin Mary. God chose to become a man, but he never stopped being God. Jesus is the God 
man. He is all that God is with skin on. He's not part God and part man. He's not God sometimes and man at other times. He's 100% God and 100% man. He's so much God, it's as if he's not man at all. And yet he's so much man, it's as if he's not God at all. Jesus is God with us. Tim Keller writes about it again. Listen to what he said. The beginningless, omnipotent creator of the universe took on a human nature without the loss of his deity so that Jesus, the son of Joseph of Nazareth, was both fully divine and fully human. The incarnation is the universe sundering, history altering, life transforming, paradigm shattering event of history. God came to us. God who created time at a point in time chose to enter the time that he created and he chose to dwell among us. No wonder all over the world this week people are going to be singing joy to the world. Why? The Lord has come. You know what that song really says? Hey, let's get the party started. He's here. He's here. God came to dwell among us. God. God came to live here. And the Bible tells us that they'll call his name Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is not just the name that the prophets declared he would be called. It's also what those who followed him closest came to understand about him. His disciples saw in him not simply another prophet helping them find God, but they saw that he was literally God himself come to find them. John. John is one of Jesus' closest disciples. John was one of the first followers of Jesus, and for three and a half years, John followed Jesus. He saw everything he did. He heard every word he spoke. He heard every teaching that he gave. He saw him act and react with people. He saw miracles that he performed. He saw him uh, give sight to the blind. He saw him make deaf ears hear. He saw him heal the sick. He saw him raise the dead. And then John, John was the only disciple who was standing at the cross. All the other disciples were terrified and they ran away when Jesus was crucified. But John stood there through the whole crucifixion holding the hand of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And he watched Jesus as he bore the sins of the world on his body. Then he watched as they took Jesus down off of that cross and they laid him in a tomb. And John was one of the first people to the tomb. When Jesus rose again from the dead, John saw it all. And in John's gospel, he introduces us in his gospel to the person of Jesus very differently than some of the other gospel writers. I want you to look at John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to how John opens his gospel. He says, in the beginning. Do those words sound familiar? What other book of the Bible begins with in the beginning? What other book begins that way? Genesis 1-1, right? What does it say? In the beginning, what happened? God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1-1 tells us how 
the beginning began. All right? Track with me for a second. Genesis 1-1 tells us how the beginning began. Wherever in your theological framework you want to put it, whenever the beginning began, the Bible tells us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This same God that we're reading about that came to us in the beginning created everything we can see, taste, touch, feel, or smell. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But look what John 1-1 says. In the beginning was... John is not retelling us the story of Genesis. John is telling us when the beginning began, who already was. Now, that's going to hit some of you later on. I know it's early in the morning. (laughs) Wherever you put the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, John says when the beginning began, the word already was. Look at it. In the beginning was the, say it out loud. Who's the word? It's a term that John has used to to try to reach out to Greek culture and communicate the the truth about the person of Jesus with this term, the word. John says when the beginning began, Jesus already was. Meaning before there was a star in the sky, before the first sunrise ever came up over the ocean, the Bible says Jesus existed in eternity past for all eternity. He is eternally God. But then look what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, say it out loud, with God. That's an important phrase in the Greek language. It's the phrase proston theon. It literally means face to face with God. So here's what he's saying about Jesus. In the beginning, when the beginning began, Jesus already was. And what he already was, was face to face with God. Why is that important? Because in Eastern culture, to look face to face with someone else is a declaration of equality. In Eastern culture, if, if, I experienced this. I've been on mission trips in the cultures in the East. I was on one a couple of years ago. We were in a hut. We were walking in to meet with the chief of a village. And they taught me the protocol on the way in. They said, listen, in this culture, it's a culture of honor. You never look eye to eye with the chief. You always make sure that as you look at him, you are below him. So, man, they, they built this thing up. Whatever you do, listen, you'll cause disrespect. You'll cause, you got him. Now, I'm six foot three and a half. He's telling me I got to get lower than this tribal chief. We walk in the hut, guy sitting on the ground. So, I'm doing, I'm like army crawling. Trying to stay below this guy. Why? Because I don't want to disrespect him. Because in his culture, for me to look him eye to eye is a declaration of equality. Now get this. In the beginning, before the beginning began, the word already was. And not only he was, he was face to face with God. What does that mean? Jesus is not only eternally God, he's equal to God himself. Jesus, and just in case we're not understanding this, and the word, say this out loud, was God. It's a statement about Jesus being eternally God. Jesus is not a man who became God. Jesus is God who existed outside the parameters of time, spoke all of time into existence, and at a point in time, Jesus is the one who entered the time that he created. Jesus is God. And then John says, And the Word 
became flesh. This one who was in the beginning, this one who was before the beginning began, this one who's equal to, this one who is God himself, John says, you're not going to believe this. He became one of us. He became a man. This phrase became flesh in the Greek language it literally means to, to pitch your tent. If we were writing it today, here's what we'd say. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became a man, and he hung out with us. God hung out with John and the disciples for three and a half years. And John says, and we saw something. The word saw comes from the Greek word theomai. We get our English word theater from it. It doesn't mean just to see and glance at. It means to watch something play. My wife and I yesterday went to see the movie Wonder. If you hadn't seen it yet, I know you thought I was going to say Star Wars. That's coming. I hadn't been there yet. But we went yesterday to see Wonder. Wonder is a beautiful movie this holiday season. You need to take your family to see it. It's incredible. But when you go see a movie in a theater, what you're doing is you're watching the scenes play out. You're not just kind of glancing at it, doing your thing. You're watching the story unfold so that you can understand the story that is being told. And at the end, you can rejoice in the conclusion of the story. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. And for three and a half years, like sitting in a theater, we watched every scene play out. I watched everything he did. I heard every word that he said. I saw him touch people. I saw the power that he had. And John said, there's only one word to describe what we saw. Glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John said, God came to us. We have eyewitness testimony that says God came to us. Now, if we have eyewitness testimony that has stood the test of historical criticism, listen, They've been the, the line is long of people who've tried to discount the eyewitness testimony of the New Testament, and all those people are dead and gone, and the New Testament's still living. It's still doing its thing. They've tried to destroy the historical credibility, but it stood the test of historical criticism. We have eyewitness testimony that God came to us. That ought to make us ask a question. Why? Why did? He come. That's the second thing we celebrate at Christmas. Here it is. God came for us. God didn't just come to us. God came for us. Look back at verse number 21. Matthew writes, 
And he says, she will bear a son, quoting the angel, and you shall call his name Jesus. The next phrase, the next word, for. For. It's an important word in the Greek language. It's, it literally means, here's the reason why. It expresses the reason for what has been stated. What did he just state? She'll bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. Why? Well, here's why. Because he will save his people from their sin. Why did God come to us? Let me tell you why. He came for us because we needed to be saved. You say, why do we need to be saved? Here's why we need to be saved. Because God created you and God created me to know him, to love him, to be loved by him, and to live in fellowship with him. That's why we were made. That's why God created us. But the Bible also teaches us that you and I sinned against God. And that our sin separates us from God. God is loving. God is gracious. But God is also holy. And the holiness of God will not live in fellowship with sin. So here God had made us to know him, to love him, to live in fellowship with him, and out of the overflow of our relationship with him, to live in relationships with others. The meaning, purpose, value of life is all found in a relationship with God. But the Bible says because we sinned, we lost the ability to have a relationship with God. Everything God created us to enjoy, we lost because of our sin. And the Bible says because of our sin, there's nothing we could do to earn it back. No matter how good we tried to be, no matter how religious we tried to be, no matter how moral we try to live, no matter how how many new leaves we try to turn over, we cannot undo the fact that we'd sinned against the holy God and because of our sin, we're cut off from a relationship with God. You know what we needed? We needed a Savior, a Savior who could reconcile us back to God. The problem is there was no one among us who could save us. So you know what God did? God came to us and God came for us on the cross. Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin on himself. And on the cross, Jesus died in our place. But he did not stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins. So that now by faith, you and I can be forgiven of our sin and be given by grace through faith a relationship with God. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Let me show it to you. Galatians chapter 4. Look at it. It's one of my favorite Christmas texts. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that, he might, that we might receive adoption as sons. Get this. God created us to know him, to love him, to be loved by him, and to live all of life out of the overflow of that relationship. Our sins separated us from God, cut us off from the family of God. But God did what we couldn't do. God came to us, took on humanity, lived a sinless life. Only perfect person to ever live, Jesus himself, offered that body as a sacrifice. And because he died, because he came for us, now by faith we can be reconciled back to God. That is why we celebrate Christmas. God came to us and God came 
for us. We get to celebrate this week those two great truths. But Jesus gave us a practice that allows us to celebrate those two great truths, not just at Christmas, but all throughout the year. And as we prayed and thought about this week leading into Christmas, we thought, what better weekend to set our hearts on the story and the meaning and the message of Christmas than for us to celebrate this practice that Jesus gave us. It's a practice that was given to the early church. It's now for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years been practiced by brothers and sisters in Christ. And all over the world this week, brothers and sisters in Christ will celebrate what we now call communion or the Lord's Supper. And it celebrates these two great truths about Christmas. If you have your Bible, quickly, I want to read it to you, and then we're going to take it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want you to look at these verses, and then we're going to celebrate this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Listen to what Paul writes, and he says. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. He said, I got this straight from Jesus, and now I'm giving it to you. That the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup. Also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you hear it? He said two things. First of all, this is my body. What's that? God came to us. God became. Every time we take communion together, when we take that bread, it's an opportunity for us to thank the Lord Jesus Christ that he stepped out of eternity and he came into time and he took on humanity and he lived for us the perfect sinless life that could be offered on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. When we take that bread, it's a symbol of the body. It teaches us the great truth of the incarnation that God came to us. And secondly, he said, take the cup. We take the cup. It represents the blood that he shed for us on the cross. What is that? That God came for us. God came to us, became a man. God came for us. He died on a cross for our sin. You know what communion, you know what the Lord's Supper is? You know when we gather around this table? It's an opportunity for us to remember, to reflect And to set our heart on everything Jesus did for us. That he came to us. He dwelt among us as a man. And that he died for us. But then Paul gives us one final challenge in verse 28. Look at it on the screen. Verse 28 he said, But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Paul challenges us that every time we take the Lord's Supper or communion together, we're to do so examining our heart before the Lord. It's exactly where we started about getting our heart right as we walk into this week of Christmas. God gave us communion as an opportunity to do some reflection in our own heart. What are we to examine? Well, two things. Number one, we're to examine our relationship with God. God, is everything in my life right now right with you? Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And then secondly, we're to examine our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, is everything right this way? And Lord, is everything right this way? God, is there anyone that I need to go to and ask forgiveness even before I go to celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion? So here's what we're about to do. 
We're about to take a moment and we're going to carve out some time here to celebrate the truth of Christmas together. And we're going to do it by doing four things at once. All right? You ready for a little worship chaos? Is that all right? I've got some uh, hosts that are going to move to these tables. We're going to do four things at once, and there's not really an order. You just follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's really a, a great beginning place if you don't know which way where to start, is this thing of examination. Just take a moment in the stillness of, <coughs> in just a second and just say, God, is there anything in my relationship with you that's not right? And if the Spirit of God reveals something to your heart, here's what I want you to do. I want you to confess it. Acknowledge it before Him and embrace the forgiveness of God. This is an opportunity to just get it all out. Whatever's between you and God, just lay it out there. Embrace His forgiveness. And then to examine your relationships with others. God, is there somebody that I need to go to, somebody that I need to make something right with before I approach your table? So we're going to have a time where we just examine ourselves. Secondly, we're going to have a time of worship. We're going to worship God by taking the elements of the Lord's Supper. There are tables, two up here on this side, two over here. There are three or four along the back, back here in the back. They're all the same. They all have hosts. They all have the bread and the juice. And I want to encourage you to just go to the one that's closest to you. And as you feel led in this time of worship, go to that table. They're going to serve you the bread. They're going to serve you the cup. And you can take it right there. You can take it back to your seat and take it. But in taking those elements, here's what I want you to do. Thank God for the body of Jesus that he became a man. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that he died for us. And, and just in the stillness of your heart, remember and reflect and worship all that God's done for you. Third thing we're going to do is intercession. We're going to open these altars up up here at the front. We're going to have pastors standing all along the front. If you want to pray with one of our pastors about something in your job, your health, your family, heading into this Christmas week, we'd be honored to pray with you. You just come. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never come to know this Jesus that we've talked about this morning, while others are moving around, <coughs> you just come right to one of these pastors that'll be here at the front, and all you have to say to them is, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a relationship with God. And here's the fourth thing we're going to do. You, you with me? Examination, worship, intercession. Here's the fourth thing. We're going to praise. Our worship team is going to be leading us in some songs of praise. And when you get back to where your seat is, you can stand, you can sit, however you want to, and just join them in these songs of praising God about his body and his blood. So we're going to examine our hearts. We're going to worship through communion. We're going to pray. Pastors are here. The altars are open. And we're going to praise God. And the order that you do that in is up to you. You feel the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. When we stand, our team's going to begin to sing. Tables are open. You move as God leads and then move back to your seat and join in with a chorus of praise. Let's pray. Father, in the stillness of this moment, would you invade this time? Holy Spirit of God, would you move among us right now as only you can? God, have your way this morning. Set our hearts right as we move into this week of celebration. Use this morning, God, for your glory and honor. 
God, I pray for those that are here today that don't know Jesus. I pray that in the midst of this time of expressive worship, that they would come to one of our pastors and simply say, I need Jesus. God, have your way. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.